Eschatology typically gets put all the way at the back as the caboose. Let's move it up front because we need to understand eschatology infects everything. It penetrates every aspect of your Christian walk and practice. Post-millennial optimism provides the biblical framework for hope and for Christian victory in history. May the Lord Jesus Christ be praised. May he continue, even as I speak, to footstool every enemy by the progress of this church in this world. This is the Tag Your It Podcast. I am Ray Ray. And I'm Dave. And I'm Joshua. And with that last quote from Cameron Gray from the Cruciform Conference that happened last year, um, you know, it is well with my soul. This is the year 2022 in the year of our Lord. This is the season six of the uh, the tag your head podcast. And this is episode 226. What do you guys think of that six years that we're working on now? It's outstanding, man. I would never have thought about that all the way back in 2017. When we started six years. Hey, they should write another uh, article for us in the Missouri Baptist pathway, right? That's right. So we, we have, that's we can always uh, sneak ourselves in there. I think uh, Ben Hawkins and everybody else seems to like us anyway. We can pull some strings, but yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, also a little tidbit of information that I, I was looking things up with Josh here. We started off with you last year as well. I saw that as well today in my memories. Uh, it's been what, two years since I've known you guys yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And it's been really great getting to know you guys the past couple of years and congratulations on the sixth year for you guys. Oh, yes, congratulations man. to you because you're part of what we're doing, man. So <laughs> yes, I guess yes. if, if you want to be, <laughs> well, I'm here right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, Josh is a uh, part of the fellowship of the tag. So if you go to tag you go to the who is page, you can see his picture on there, um, see his little bio and uh, kind of what we have him about. And so uh, what I wanted to do this year, and this, uh, we've been planning this for maybe a month, month and a half or so. I kind of asked Josh uh, to come in on the actually it's way it's actually been longer than that. So we've uh, postponed this. Yeah post mill <laughs> episode we got time yes we definitely have lots of time folks um and it's a, and it's a very good thing because you know you count the patience of the lord as salvation so that's the awesome awesome thing um so anyway we wanted to start 2022 off on the right foot on the hope foot anyway so let's discuss hope tonight and um so we have a really awesome article to talk about it's really not that awesome but it's an awesome way to get into the conversation that's why i picked it that's why i said hey josh i read this article on got questions and i want you to look at it and uh i want it to fuel a really good conversation because um really we need to take these things that are out there talk about them let's uh, discuss these things as brothers um, and a brotherly spirit to win people over um, so that uh, we can end up really getting together with a great commission and showing the world unity where there is no unity and um, 
what you know whenever it comes to eschatology as um cameron gray had said you know we need to take this from the caboose and make this front and center and so 2022 here we go post mill that post mill and i guess for the people out there that know me hashtag that post mill so um with that said um where do you guys want to start you know this is a this episode's called uh, Got Strawman, and this is uh, you know uh, gotquestions.com uh, and their their website or add or gotquestions.org on their website an article from there um, on postmillennialism. So I guess one of the things that I want to do I think that understanding the language of postmillennialism is really important. And Josh, you communicate about this very clearly in your church. You've communicated about this in such a way that has encouraged me in my understanding of eschatology. And so I just want to just throw out a few different questions that I think are really important before we jump into the article proper. Uh, and then we can provide a little background on gotquestions.org because it's not like it's some bad website. I don't want to pretend that. But let me just ask for those who maybe are listening to the podcast for the first time, watching the episode for the first time, or who might just have somehow stumbled upon this and they've never seen this type of discussion about postmillennialism, what is the millennium? And kind of give us just a little background on, on that and where that even comes from. Yeah. So the millennium is derived as he kind of gets that in the first paragraph here, which we won't jump into just yet, but it's the discussion of it comes from Revelation 20, where the millennial reign is is described there. And just to give you the post-millennial view, and actually it's the same as the all-millennial view in terms of the relationship of the return of Christ to the millennial reign. And so both all-millennials and post-millennials believe that the millennial reign of Christ, which it describes the time when Christ is on his throne, ruling and reigning, and there's other details given, um, but it's believed that post-millennials believe and all millennials believe it's the time from Christ's ascension to his throne after he rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father to when he then returns again for the second coming. Mm -hmm. And so basically all of the history, the era of history that we are in post the first advent of Christ. And so it's that time frame that is the millennial reign. Yes. And this is an opposed to, I guess, opposed to um, the premillennialist conception of, so what, yeah. what is the uh, millennial kingdom then? So we're saying that Christ is ruling and reigning now, right? Amil, yes. post-mill can agree on that. It's not, there's a now reign. What is the uh, say premillennial or I guess dispensationalist? What what are they saying? Yeah. That, what what's going on right now? Yeah. So for the premillennial or dispensational position, they would read that as a literal one thousand years where Christ literally will reign in literal Jerusalem uh, on the earth, and so that's going to happen when he has his second coming, when he comes again, in their view. And so he's literally going to come and sit on a throne in Jerusalem in the Middle East. And so at so we're waiting for that to happen for them. So that's where the term pre-mill comes from, is they believe the return of Christ comes before the excuse me, before the millennial reign. Another and they little, take it as a strict literal 1,000 year period. Another little question that I know sometimes gets lost in the language is the term preacherism. 
I don't even know if I'm saying it right, right? Uh, preterism, preterism, preterism. Yeah. Um, I mean, literally, I, you know, I read it. I don't hear a whole lot of people use the term, but when you jump into uh, post millennial eschatology, that's a term that I find in lots of literature. Say it correctly for me and then make sure that I have a good understanding of it. Yes. It's, yeah, preterism is how you'd say it. And, uh, you know, you, you know, someone's a smart guy when they know words, but they don't know how to pronounce them because it means they've been reading it. Yeah. So no shame in that. But preterism simply means that something has been fulfilled or been or that it's passed or it's happened. And so when it comes to prophecies in the Bible, the a preteristic view of any particular prophecy, you would if you have a preteristic view of any particular prophecy, you would say this prophecy has already happened. It's already been fulfilled. And, you know, a lot of dispensational premillennial people will want to use it as kind of a scary word or a, a, a bad word. But the reality is, in order to even be a Christian, you are a preterist. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have prophecies of the first coming of Christ, of yeah. his virgin birth, um, those sorts of things, which have been fulfilled of his death and resurrection, there was prophecies of that in the Old Testament. Those prophecies have been passed and done, and he's fulfilled those. Yeah, because if they if if they weren't fulfilled already, then you would be on the Judaism An Orthodox side. Orthodox Jew. Right. Yeah. So they don't they don't agree that those passages that they do see as Mashiach coming, that he's still coming. He is he hasn't even made his appearance yet. And so um you have to be a preterist. And so we can't we, we gotta do loosen the sting a little bit when it comes to conversations you know preterism is not doesn't have to be a heated word um there's a lot of baggage because of the debate anyway um we need to drop this ptsd kind of stuff (laughs) and we need to have good faith conversations you know so if you hear the word preterist it's not an evil thing now it's been made up that way you might have been raised in a home where um you know somebody like your parents have said hey um we just don't no, you know, and that's, that's stifled conversation, but you know, we, we do grow up, we can have conversations. And I think uh, Christians should be an example of that to where we can utilize words because right now we're in the middle of language wars. And this is, this is what we need to show the world is that we can use words and we don't have to fight with them. We can actually have good faith conversations with one another, utilizing words like preterism and Calvinism and post-millennialism that's becoming a very dog word right now too that just makes people just fight and and so we we need to stop that kind of things but yeah everybody is a preterist at some level it's just what are you a preterist about right and and to be clear too i think one of the reasons it has baggage with it is because there are what would be called a full preterist or a hyper preterist or whatever other term of those who believe absolutely everything has been fulfilled and Christ has already come. And so that that obviously is outside of Orthodox Christianity. It's a heresy, and that's not at all we believe. But that is that is a position out there that is reacted against, overreacted against by some. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to kind of the issues we'll get into today, there are, you know, various prophetic passages in the New Testament, and a, a number of those post-millennialists would see, or most post-millennialists would see as things that were about, you know, the judgment that came upon Jerusalem in 70 AD, Mm -hmm. 
whereas most dispensational premillennialists and even a lot of amillennialists would see that all of these things as being about the second coming. And so that's where uh, a lot of that debate is uh, centered on. Yeah, yeah. So gotquestions.org is a pretty popular mm -hmm. site. I heard of it uh, probably about five years ago or so. Seems like if you Google some type of question, it's one of the ones that first comes up. From my mm -hmm. understanding, it started back in 2002, and the goal was that youth leaders, pastors, Sunday school teachers would be able to type in just a simple question and get a brief, concise, and if you look at it, it's just like about one page answer here. And this is probably 12 point font or something like that. There are no citations given mm -hmm. or any other references given. And the individual who actually started this website is a guy by the name of S. Michael Hoodman. And I think I'm saying his name right. He's actually a graduate did. of Calvary Theological Seminary from right here in Kansas City. He has, of course, a master's degree in Christian theology. So he's a fairly well-educated guy. And from what I understand as well, he is also currently studying at Dallas Theological Seminary, where he's working on, I got that wrong, he is working on his master's of theology degree at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he is a graduate um, with a, and I cannot remember what his degree is. Yeah, he has a master's degree in Christian theology, and he's yeah. working on master's of theology there at DTS. So yeah. um, just a brief overview, if you Google a question, this is usually the site that comes up. So I actually think it's really important that we actually deal with it because it is a yes. resource. Yes, and we and we do want to deal with it, you know, because that that is a, a major issue. Is there are no there are no citations in this one. And Dave, uh, you did some research earlier, um, like the top twenty um, articles that they have. You looked at all of them, no citations, and so that's sort of a problem if you're trying to be a help um, for people, is because you need to give citations. And so we're going to deal with a lot of assertions here. That's like, huh? And um, we'll need those citations. If you don't have a citation, I don't know where you got it from. I don't. I, I don't know if it's something that's been made up by whoever wrote it, or whatever. But you know, um, this is the here's the big deals. Uh, we will send this uh, show over to uh, Michael Hoodman um, after we get it all packaged up and everything, because what we want to do is we want to ask um, that it be edited. So we're not saying, hey, burn it throw it down or whatever, but we want to, uh, politely as, as, uh, post-millennialists, um, you know, this article has definitely, uh, like, like the title says, got straw man. Um, it's a big straw man of an article that we want to point out, utilize this as a stepping stone to talk about post-millennialism, um, and what it is so that we can help got questions, edit their article and, uh, put it up rightly now, they might not hold to it again. Um, he doesn't want to be known as if you look on, uh, who is Michael Hoodman. Um, he doesn't want to be known because he doesn't want it, these things to be accepted or rejected by, because of who he is. Um, but it says on there that, um, it says that on there, but he, he said, rather it's his hope is that people will accept or reject gotquestions.org answers because they have read them, compared them with the word of God and prayed about them and determined them to be 
uh, true and biblical, or it'd be nice to say, or vice versa, you know, <laughs> so it's still a little, little bully, uh, right there anyway. Um, but that, that's the thing with, uh, got questions with anything, you know, you do take it to scripture. Um, but it'd be really awesome since it's such a major thing, since it is the top, you know, a top search, um, whenever you're searching questions, um, it'd be really nice to add citations. So you want to hit it for not adding citations. Um, really it also, um, we'll get into the article. It doesn't mention preterism at all, um, in the article. So that's kind of a little flaw to not talk about because it's not bringing that into the debate to help the person, um, you know, consider post-millennialism over any other view. Um, but I guess, uh, you know, really with that said, uh, you guys want to get into the article, I can read it. Sounds good. Outstanding. All right. righty. So we're going to get about one sentence in, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So what is post-millennialism? Um, there's no author or anything. And just to let you guys know, um, there's a crew of people that put these together as per the website says, but it all hits the desk of Michael Hoodman. And so I guess it's almost like he, he can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but it seems like he is the, uh, the buck stops here. He gives the green light to these things. And so thus, He's the responsible party that should be the one to accept this and hopefully take this in brotherly love for editing. But anyway, what is postmillennialism? Postmillennialism is an interpretation of Revelation chapter 20, which sees Christ's second coming as occurring after the millennium. And there's a comma, but that's where we need to stop. So um, whenever I read this, you get on here, you don't know what postmillennialism is. We've got to take the perception of that person. It says postmillennialism is an interpretation of Revelation chapter 20. And you sort of hit on that, but kind of riff on that again. Yeah, so that's a Revelation 20 is a very... It, it's one passage at the end of the Bible in the most symbolic book of the Bible. That's very hard for many people to understand. How do you know it's symbolic? Well, it's uh, for one, it's a prophetic, prof, uh, prophetic literature. Mm -hmm. And so you look at how the Bible puts forward prophecy, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all throughout the old Testament. Um, and there's use of symbolism of, of, um, hyperbole, all these, this imagery, um, in order to make a point about something that's going to happen. Yeah. And so, uh, with revelation, particularly it's a vision, John has a vision. And so he's seeing a vision. And so that kind of sets the, the tone for how we understand what kind of literature revelation is. It's not a letter that John is writing in the same way that, he wrote first John mm -hmm. where he's teaching a church so on, but he's seeing a vision. He's relaying a vision that was given to him. And so that would be a, a basic yeah. answer. And it's in the text, you know, yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's in the text. So, I mean, whenever we were looking at uh, scripture, interpreting scripture, taking the text, what it says, uh, being literal. Um, I think we do need to mention that the term literal means to the literature. So as you said, if it's prophetic language, it's going to have a, prophetic language type idea to be able to unwrap it and everything like that. So we've got poetry in the Bible. You don't take mm -hmm. that, you know, unless if it is mentioning something real, there's other places to go to go, okay, that, you know, so, so it's a whole, a holistic um, hermeneutic that you have to take um, scripture to interpret scripture. So you have sola scripture, you have tota scripture, so you have to go through it. So is it just an interpretation? Right. It's, it's certainly not just that. In fact, because the idea of what's of what's you might get from this article is that, well, they just come to this one tough passage at the end of the Bible, 
and base this whole system off of, which is certainly not the case at all. Post-millennialism begins in the beginning of the Bible. It's all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the way Jesus talks about the kingdom of God and the gospels. And so we get post-millennialism from the whole of scripture, um, understanding it together, understanding the whole storyline and the whole teaching, not just from one particular prophetic passage that may be difficult, more difficult than others to yeah. understand. One of the things that I think is important, Josh, and I would just um, kind of wonder some of your thoughts when they basically, again, straw man this, and I don't know that it's intentionally done. They do a disservice to people. If you were going to maybe throw out a few other texts that would be a strong basis, you know, if I'm going to throw out things on the doctrine of the Trinity, I'm going to put forward multiple passages. You know, whenever we talk about any systematically constructed doctrine, we usually have multiple threads of scripture that are weaving their way through. While you would say Revelation 20 is important, what would be some of those other passages just to demonstrate that this is um, just inaccurate and just camping out in that one passage? Immediately what comes to mind is the Psalms. All throughout the Psalms, you have um, passages that talk about uh, the nations, the kingdom of God going to the nations, like Psalm 22. It's the great crucifixion psalm about Christ's crucifixion. It, it, it contains, you know, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It contains a prophecy of soldiers gambling for his clothes. Mm -hmm. And then as it progresses, it begins, to, the psalm begins to show the results then of the cross, of the work of Jesus. And one of those results is that all the families of the earth will come and worship him. And so all throughout the Psalms, you have, you have that, you have like Psalm 72 that describes the, the, the kingdom of God, you know, all the kings of the earth will come and lick the dust before him. Um, you have other prophecies like uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 42 talks about in the latter days, all the kings of the earth will come and flow to the mountain of God. The nations of the earth will flow to the mountain of God. Um, I, other places in Isaiah as well. Um, and then I would jump as well to like the uh, parables in Matthew 13, mm -hmm. where Jesus walks through, he gives several parables right after another. And in, in the, in most of those parables, he'll start it off by saying the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is compared to this. And he gives a parable. Multiple of those parables describe the kingdom of God as being something which increases and grows. Um, like the, like the parable of the mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, smallest of all, planted in the ground, grows up into a large tree, branches spread out where the birds of the air come in and nest. Which then is language that's like the Old Testament, right? right. So you see in the Old Testament how Nebuchadnezzar was a tree. Yep. And his branches spread far and wide and all the birds. So this is language that isn't new Familiar to Jesus. to the Bible. Yeah, this is something that precedes Christ and he's talking like it. And so yep. that was like a big kicker for me. I was like, Oh, wait a second. You know, uh, another great thing, you know, when it comes to the, uh, the Olivet discourse, whenever you think about the lightning, I know a lot of people are, that one's a tricky one where we're talking about the East and the West, but I'm reading Ezekiel, the sword in Ezekiel. And whenever it's wielded, it flashes like lightning and everybody sees it. So, you know, so this is how you do scriptural interpretation. You're like, where have I seen lightning flashes before. Yep. 
and uh, what did it mean then and all that kind of stuff, because God never changes. He stays the same. His message has been the same. And so I think uh, that's a pretty objective approach to this, you know, whenever you're getting into scriptural hermeneutics and trying to tie these things together, um, you know, to your point where um, it's talking in the Old Testament where the kings would come, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get to Revelation. Let's talk about Revelation Ruler where the, the kings, kings bring there. their glory. So the kings don't lose their glory. They bring it into the kingdom, which was at hand when Christ was walking the earth. So, I mean, there's so much back and forth between old and new Testament between Jesus and the prophets, you know, it's, 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 it's awesome uh, to see. And it's, I, I don't, that's all I can give people is like, if you could just read it, just go how amazing that's even more of a testimony to the whole 1500 years, 40 authors um, issue. Let me give you one more. And this is the passage, David, that uh, pushed me over the edge into saying, all right, I'm a post-millennialist. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul, he's talking about the resurrection of the dead. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if Christ is not raised, then, then everything's in vain. And then he, then he uh, in talking about the resurrection of Christ and, and the resurrection day, he then says uh, in quoting or obviously alluding to an Old Testament passage, and he, he, he applies it to Christ, and he says that Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Then comes the end. Mm. He delivers the king to his father, the last enemy to be, to be defeated is death. Now that's a quote from Psalm 110. Mm. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so the apostle Paul applies that passage to Jesus and to his reign. So if Jesus is reigning when he ascended after his resurrection to the right hand of God, Paul says he's there and he must reign until all enemies have been put under his feet. And so Paul gives us there in 1 Corinthians 15, I guess you could call the timeline <laughs> so, or the time indicators of when Christ will, will come again. It's when all enemies are put under his feet, and, and then he'll come again to then do away with the last enemy, which is death. Yeah, Psalm 110 being Psalm a, 110. a very heavily used psalm in the new testament Many times. as well um, but that that is the uh, kicker that gets us on to, uh, deeper into the article here it says um it's, so it's a golden age uh, or era of christian prosperity and dominance and so i know that we kind of discussed a little bit of an issue there is a golden we can say there's a time right you know like uh, where is it that where it talks about how um people will die at 100 years old isaiah be, 65 yeah, that's right yep. isaiah 65 talks about it's it's really funny and i've been talking to people and this has kind of been like a little little push anyway is uh i'm like people like so we got swords and plowshares things going on right but it's at the same time people die right but at 100 years old and they're mourned as if that was young you know and that was like whenever i was listening to that night of eschatology with douglas wilson i was like and that was another little nudge, you know, just to be like, yeah, people don't yep. die in eternity, <laughs> you know? So I'm like, okay, when is that? You know, I was, I say, I'm already an optimistic Amil guy. Right. I, I believe everything's on the last day, but oh man, people don't die in eternity. Oh, dang, <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> and it gets in there, but so there is, but you know, you're talking about this age, I guess maybe in the past, there's some people that kind of have an age within an age. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it was some of the Puritans uh, in that Puritan era who a lot of them were post-millennialists and they had a 
I guess, a, a Puritan form of post-millennialism, which most post-millennials don't believe today, that there would be a literal 1,000-year reign within this millennial reign, within history. Um, and so most post-millennials today, there may be still a few, I don't believe this, most of the guys that are published don't believe it, that there's a thousand year, literal thousand year uh, golden age, if you will. But we just believe that is where history is going. That's the progress of the millennial reign is that um, the kingdom of God continues to advance. And as the gospel advances and people repent and come to Christ, then necessarily you're going to have all kinds of benefits. When people start obeying God, they start ordering their lives according to the Bible and his law then you're going to have benefits. You're mm -hmm. going to be, there's going to, it's a, it's a better way to live. God made the world to, to function that way. So mm -hmm. the more and more people become Christian, the more good benefits we'll, we'll have as a, as nations, as people groups, as a world. Mm -hmm. I'm just looking at Dave's. I'm still getting used to this whole like <laughs> zoom meeting thing that uh, we've been doing. So I'm just waiting to make sure. Cause I know Dave gets that little face going on every once in a while. And I'm just waiting you know, for it. But anyway, we'll continue. Um, the term includes several similar views of the end times, and it stands in contrast to premillennialism, the view that Christ's second coming will occur prior to his millennial kingdom, and that his that the millennial kingdom is a literal 1,000-year reign, and to a lesser extent, amillennialism, which is no literal uh, millennium. But they would say, you know, church age, millennium. And that's basically kind of you know, instead of taking the age within the age thing, we're like, well, it, it is a time, a complete number of time. It's just there being like, but it's going to be horrible. And we're like, no, it's going to get better and better, which yeah. I mean, that's oh, the other thing just right. to jump in real quick yeah. that I, a lot of, a lot of times they'll use the term golden age yeah. to put down it's a post one of you. Yeah. And they kind of use it to say, oh, you believe in a utopia. No. And yeah. that is not what we're saying by a golden age or the progress in advance of the, of the kingdom. Certainly there will always be sin in the world and, and unbelievers mm. and death and, until Christ returns. So it's not a utopia. We're not putting forth this world that uh, is, you know, without suffering and pain and evil and those sorts of things. So in Schaff and Herzog's 1910, Look at that big book. Encyclopedia of Religious Knowledge. I love the way that he puts it, actually. And of course, he's writing back in 1910. He says, as one of the defining characteristics of postmillennialism, the postmillennial millennial doctrine is as follows, and he gives one. Through Christian agencies, the gospel gradually permeates the entire world and becomes mm -hmm. immeasurably more effective than at present. And I think that that's such Beautiful. a beautifully well-written piece. Of course, he's writing, you know, over a hundred years ago, but I think that is so much more accurate. It, it, it permeates. And, and that is the key piece that I think demonstrates to me a fulfillment agency. And I don't think that this accurately summarizes that. And I like the way that you'd put that, it, that golden age is used in a pejorative terminology that doesn't really assess the depth at which a post-millennialist would deal with that. So I wanted to make sure I jumped off. But uh, tell me a little bit when it says that it is um, in contrast to premillennialism and to a lesser extent amillennialism, you, you commented earlier that it's not really in contrast. How does amillennialism and uh, 
post-millennialism kind of work together. And don't let me slow us down. If I'm hanging, if I'm making you camp out too long in some of these, please forgive me. Yeah. So in terms of, I think I, I mentioned it earlier, but just to, to make sure we're clear, in terms of when Christ returns in relation to the millennial reign, post-mills and all-mills agree, the millennial reign is not a literal thousand years. It's just a period of time from his ascension to his second coming, and then he comes. The, so post-mills and all-mills are in agreement on that. The difference comes in what we believe happens during that millennial reign yeah. and what we believe the course of history will be and is. Yeah, gotcha. All right, and to, to move on here, it says uh, post-millennialism is the belief that Christ returns after a period of time, but not necessarily a literal 1,000 years. Those who hold this view do not interpret unfulfilled prophecy using a normal, literal method. This is where we need citations. <laughs> what is a, a normal, literal method is sort of like the question that somebody that doesn't know what's going on should be like, shouldn't just accept it. Oh yeah, that's normal. I'm just going to read it. it says 1000 years must be a thousand years. Right. But there should be a citation here because biblical hermeneutics is a big thing to talk about. It's not just something that you go, I mean, I just, you just look at it and read it. See a thousand years must be a thousand years. Right. Because there's, you know, what do we, what do we do? So um, do we as post-millennialists, do we hold this view while holding while not interpreting unfulfilled prophecy using a normal literal method. Yeah. What, it, what is normal? What ought to be our method for interpreting scripture? And first of all, obviously the, the, the way literal interpretation is used, it's used often by dispensational types. Um, and I'm not trying to say that negatively about them, but it's used often by them as a, as a scare tactic. Yeah to make us seem like we're liberals or something <laughs> like we're playing, playing fast and loose with the text of scripture and not at all. Are we, are we trying to do that? What we're trying to do is take all of the Bible. And this is what our 1689 confession teaches that we're to interpret scripture by scripture. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing. And so when we come to any passage in the Bible, um, a better way to say it than then, you know, a, li a literal interpretation is to say, we should want to read the text and interpret it naturally. Yeah. So if I'm reading uh, historical books, first or second Kings, I want to read it as true history, literal history. If I'm, if I'm reading the Psalms or, you know, the song of songs or poetry, I want to interpret it as what it is poetry. If I'm reading, uh, you know, Paul's didactic teaching, I want to interpret it like that. And so, you have to take into account what is being, what, what you're reading. Yeah. Um, just like if you got a, you know, a, a, a love letter from your significant other and they were writing you these poetic symbolic words of how you're, you know, you're fairer than a gazelle, you know, yeah. jumping over the hills, you know, you're not literally a gazelle jumping over hills. It's yeah. symbolic imagery. We use it all the time. It's normal and natural for people to use it. And so why can the Bible not also use it? Yeah. And yeah, why can't it use it? And then how can we know when yeah. is, uh, you know, something that's literal or at least something that actually physically took place or something that's describing something in symbolic language, poetic and stuff like that. And so it's 
if the post mills are liberal, then Matthew was <laughs> right. You know, so that's, that's, that's the issue. Matthew was because, you know, the whole, I call my son out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. That's a typological fulfillment. And so this is something that uh, is really well explained and he shall have dominion um, from Kenneth Gentry, a wonderful resource. See, we can, you know, we'll cite and we'll say, Hey, where can you go to read this stuff? And if you want even the places, the pages, you know, chapter you can, seven, yeah, you can at least, I know, uh, I know you and me have the book. I know Dave doesn't have the book. He's, he's listening to it and everything like that. Yeah. But eventually he'll get it and he'll, you can be able to be like, Hey Dave, where is this in his book? How can you help me out? So we can help cite, <laughs> you know, these things. And it's a, it's a, it's a major thing, but there are different types of fulfillments. Again, we have to meet on the text. So if, um, if, if Matthew says this is a fulfillment, it is truly an, a fulfillment. It is literally a fulfillment, but how so typologically, you know, like really, um, you know, just Mm -hmm. like directly, I guess maybe it'd be a better word. Um, but in in that sense, but you know, if, if we're liberal, then Matthew was a liberal. And that's the key is what we want to do is look at how do the new Testament writers, the apostles and Jesus, how do they interpret prophecy or how Mm -hmm. do they use old Testament scripture? And so we're not just learning you know, I think one of the things that dispensationals, uh, dispensationalists will do is they'll say, like, for example, this is a relevant rab- rabbit trail here, but they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll say, um, you know, we only know what Old Testament types were types of Christ, and the only way we know it is if the New Testament tells us that this specifically was a type of Christ. But the problem is we don't just learn the very f- the few examples that the New Testament explicitly tells us are types of Christ. We also are to learn from the apostles, the New Testament writers, Jesus, uh, we're to, to learn method of interpretation for them. Yeah. How do we interpret the scriptures? So they're not just teaching us and giving us the list, and this is all the list of types of Christ. They're teaching us how to read the Bible right and how to, to look at the Old Testament and seek Christ. So that's that's a rabbit trail way of saying we want to look at the new testament authors how do they use the scripture yeah. and let's take their method mm-hmm. because they're teaching us how to do yeah, it yeah and it's being a presuppositionalist or covenantal apologetics podcast here you know we take we look how how uh paul looked at what, what did he do in act 17 he said yes. you recognize these things you know these things he's being consistent with his, uh, what he understands, like his epistemology that he puts forward of man and, and how they all know God, how mankind all knows God because God's shown himself. Right. And so he's approaching the Areopagus. He's approaching these people like your poets recognize <laughs> this. Well, he raised up Jesus from the dead to prove that, you know, there's going to be a day of judgment. And it, then Jesus presupposes that he's the only way and there's only one God, you know? And so that's the way we do um, apologetics. That's why we take the the uh, position we do when it comes to our methodology. And so then this should be the position, the same, it's the same thing that we do when it comes to eschatology. We have to do the same sort of thing with hermeneutics and our methodology there to take us to the right end, um, end goal of understanding what God has revealed. Cause God did say that he has revealed things in there for us and our children. So the secret things are for him, but we have revelation and we can deal with revelation. He expects us to deal with revelation or else Jesus wouldn't get so mad at the, uh, at the Emmaus, Emmaus disciples. Like you are, you have this stuff. Like, why are you thinking that way? But then he explains himself from what scripture 
and then the scales fall from their eyes and then it's you jesus right so that's that's the that's the whole thing we are held accountable for every bit of revelation that we do have and so that's why we need to get to the this point where we do take the eschatology from the back of the bus or from the the caboose of the train and put it at the front because this is a worldview issue so just to expand on when they to me anyways mark wholesale that the postmillennialists do not take revelation 24 through 6 literally uh just want to make sure that i'm understanding what's being said there is essentially they're saying that um post-millennialists are using that language of a thousand years inconsistently with other places that they use it is that how you would read that i mean i would just understand them to be saying we don't believe it's a literal thousand years and, gotcha. and they and they think that that's um you know pejorative i wonder so, if um, every time that we number people in the bible if they they believe that is like there that was go. exactly five thousand people yeah, you know, there are at least yeah. 5,000 men, not women and children included, but like there couldn't be 4,885 know, right. or 6,015. Right? So in other words, you're telling me that if, you know, 9,999 years and, or wait, excuse me, 999 years and 23 hours, if Christ came back, then, you know, it would be, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, you yeah. understand that right. they're not going to say the same thing, and and I'm not right. saying that. I'm, I'm okay. I'm being kind of facetious with that, but the reality is we recognize very clearly that the number of years is demonstrating a, a period of time, an extended period of time. Would you say that that would be correct? And that seems to be the thrust of the text. That's correct. Yeah, it's an extended period of time is how I would understand that. And the way we come to that, just to give an example, is by looking at how the rest of the Bible uses, as you kind of were getting at, Adam, um, how, how the rest of the Bible uses specifically the number 1,000. Mm -hmm. You have the psalm that talks about how God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What does that mean? He doesn't own the cattle on the thousand first hill? Yeah. Of course not. It just means all the many hills with all the cattle on them. Well, here, let's get, let's get, let's get real literal, guys. You ready for this? Um, God's grace is to how many generations? A thousand. <laughs> yeah, so the exactly. anytime a whole thing with Christ coming at any time, sorry, we haven't even hit a thousand generations. Right. <laughs> Unless if you're, I guess, a theistic evolutionist, and then you will never know how many generations. But you know, <laughs> that's a, that's another podcast for another day. <laughs> Tim Carter. Anyway, we'll <laughs> get back back to it. But yeah, that's the thing is, you know, the the numbers have been used symbolically now are we starting the the problem is we're not starting at revelation 20 right right so we've come to revelation 20 with a lot of old testament a lot of new testament before we get to john's apocalypse here right and the before, whole book of revelation yeah right so there, there's a whole lot, whole lot of stuff so we're not going to start there and then work our way out we're going to take the whole of god's covenantal promises to his people and go like well yeah this doesn't have to be a literal 1000 years because look at this look at this look at this it's whenever you start the other way that you should go like it has to be literal you know but then we see a thousand used as some symbolic but it's all that stuff all that work to get to okay how do we do that you know that's that's what we're doing that's not what this article is demonstrating which is 
very frustrating. Um, and this is why we would call for an edit, please, <laughs> on this kind of stuff to uh, to take the position. You know, read Demar, read Gentry, um, Douglas Wilson, um, kick. Um, trying to think who else. There's tons of David Chilton's. David Chilton. Yeah. I don't know why it didn't just that didn't come off. Of Gary my mouth. North. Yeah, Gary North. Yeah, man. There's there's tons of ten tons of folks. Uh, Botner, uh, farther yeah. back. Uh, um, you get the old Puritans. Um, Warfield. Calvin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, according to multiple sources that I've looked at, just wanted to make sure I threw it out there. Augustine was uh, a post mill guy. However, if you talk to some people, that would be anachronistic to call him that. But Erickson really uh, seems to expand on that concept of Augustine being uh, post mill. So, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, so, you know, um, so we, we just talked about they believe that a thousand years simply means a long period of time. Furthermore, the prefix post and post millennialism denotes that the view um, that, or denotes the view that Christ will return after Christian now. This one, if you are a DTS student or a graduate and you got it, you're a graduate from all these others, please, maybe this just kind of whiffed over your desk. Maybe you sent this one off to somebody else because you really didn't want to deal with it or whatever. But please, sir, no, 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 no. This is a, the hugest straw man. And this is just bad. This is just bad scholarship, bad whatever you know but it says that uh, furthermore the prefix post and post-millennialism denotes that the view that christ will return after christians not christ himself have established the kingdom on earth who i i want a citation if you actually know of post-millennial post-mill guy that has said that christians do this without christ um us post-mill guys across the internet we'll go after them and, and be like, repent brother. Cause that's not what the Bible says. That's not what we believe, but without a citation here, we don't know. And I, we would like to know who said this, if somebody actually said it, but do post millennium do, do that post mill folks. And it's hard to say that so many times it's in a, a row. Coaster. I'm just going to say, do that post mill folks <laughs> <laughs> believe that, uh, you know, that Christians do this without Christ. Absolutely not. I mean, we see in the Gospels that the kingdom of God, Jesus' kingdom, was established at his first advent. That's when, you know, when he was preaching, he was, you know, even even uh, John the Baptist was saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. It's at hand. And Jesus was preaching consistently about it because he was bringing it. It was there. And um, so he brought it with his first advent. And we believe, of course, he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, where he now takes his throne to reign. So he established it in, in the first century. And the certainly there's a, there's a sense in which Christians, we go out and we implement the, the, the rule of Christ in certain ways by going out and uh, fulfilling the Great Commission, teaching people to obey all that Jesus commanded us and baptizing them and, and preaching the gospel, God uses his church, he uses his people to advance his kingdom and to teach rulers and nations how to obey him. But he established it, and our work in doing that is not done by our own flesh. It's not things we can mm -hmm. legislate. Mm -hmm. It's a work of the Spirit of God yeah. affecting the preaching of his word. And so... Yeah, this, I don't this know is just saying the post yeah. folks don't don't believe that uh, you know Pentecost happened. Right. 
and that you know like we're not like basically it comes from a, a presupposition that you do need a literal christ here on earth to do anything mm-hmm. you know that but then again it says it's better that i go away jesus himself says it's better if i go away because if i don't go then you won't get the spirit because we were called for dominion mm-hmm. we were called for the cultural mandate what do you think matthew 28 is it's our dominion mandate mm-hmm. um so you know this should have been ken gentry that wrote a book called the greatness of the great commission great stinking book we're baptists so there's one little area that's um, yeah, can toss out but the rest of it is great it's a, it's a great book but that's the thing is um this needs to definitely say i am sorry because this is saying that we don't really care about the holy spirit and and care about the person of the holy spirit and what he's doing and so this is very offensive <laughs> and a, yeah. a bad straw man and i don't know how many people have read it and so they're sitting there um, wait, and the people are waiting to pounce on you don't basically, if, if they get it, you don't really believe in Pentecost, do you? Cause you're building this yourself. And so we have to have this political kingdom. No, we're not the Jews. You know, like the Jews were the ones and Jesus is the one that said, my kingdom is not of this world, but it's in this world and it's growing and we're doing it through the gospel. Right. So, you know, that's uh, again, bad, I guess a, a bad uh, lens to be able to view somebody else. Um, that's there. So I just wanted to, you know, that's one of those heavy, heavy edits that needs to happen because of that. So, and I would just add one more thing kind of along those lines too. another Psalm is Psalm two. And, um, in that Psalm, it says there's again, inter-Trinitarian conversation mm-hmm. and, um, I'll make it quick. Um, it says the father is speaking to the son. And he says, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. Mm -hmm. And so that was promised to the son. And then we see Jesus in Matthew 28. He's risen from the dead. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Yeah, It's been given to him. And it's interesting in the verse, I think it's Psalm 2, verse 7, which is right before 8 and 9, which I just sort of quoted. Yeah, Um, Verse 7 says... I will tell of the I will tell of the decree the Lord, uh, the Lord said or something. But um, today I have begotten. Yes. Today I have begotten. Yeah. You. That's quoted in the New Testament in Acts thirteen by the Apostle Paul, I believe it is, or Peter. One of the, I can't remember which one. And they say that verse proves the resurrection because he's preaching the resurrection. God raised Jesus from the dead. Yeah. As it says in the second Psalm, um, the Lord said to to me, "Today I have begotten you." Yeah. Yeah. And then the ends of the earth are your possession. Ask me. So Jesus rose from the dead. He says, the authority has been given to me. Go disciple the nations. Mm-hmm. And so by his authority, he's commissioning his people out because they're his. And so it's not a work we do in ourselves or mm-hmm. apart from Christ or apart from his authority. It's based on his authority and his telling us they're mine. Go. And my Holy Spirit's coming to help. And Christ doing it through his church. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so you get to uh, whenever Jason, Jason's house, you know, who, who are these people that are turning the world upside down? It's like, oh, they were actually um, affecting the civil sphere and people were, were shaking in their boots um, because it wasn't that uh, there was no uh, bows and arrows. There were no swords, but it was uh, all just uh, the sword of, of the word uh, going throughout that place, turning things upside down. You know, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful thing whenever you start thinking about it, you know, um, it's happened before and it can continue to happen if we would just, uh, again, um, 
believe the Bible and, uh, and we can hope, hope, hope. And, uh, you know, we could, we could change this world, uh, because we're spirit filled. Like again, spirit of Christ is also another name for the Holy spirit that lives within us. And so it's Christ working. So again, we do not, um, believe that, uh, Christ will come back after we establish a kingdom, um, for Christ to then go, then we're going like, Hey, look what we did. Look what we Mm -hmm. did. Jesus come back now. No, 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 no. But it's the spirit of Christ living within us, the kingdom that's within us now, that it's growing, that will grow. And then again, all, everything will, there is a mountain right in the old Testament. There's the mountain that goes higher than the mountains and everything streams up. Usually things stream down, but these are going to stream up. Yeah. That denotes it's a supernatural work of God Mm -hmm. for water to stream up a mountain. Yep. Yep, sir. So I'll move on here. Um, so those who hold post-millennialism believe that the world will become better and better. All evidence to the contrary, notwithstanding, um, with the entire world eventually becoming Christianized. So here's where they want to interject some sort of, uh, well, against the evidence, uh, they believe the <laughs> world will be getting better. So I don't want to just destroy something. I want to end up going, okay, what is the evidence that things are getting better and better and will get better and better? So what, so again, here's where citations would be really awesome as if you'd be like, what is the evidence that things will get worse and worse? I mean, there's a couple of scriptural things that they bring up that we can talk about, but what else, what is the evidence? I don't know. There's no citation. Um, but what is the evidence that, you know, what, what is something that in the say first century to now to then now to the future, what's better and better? What, what do we uh, rest our hope on? I would just say the fact that I would venture, I can safely say all three, me and Dave's ancestors at some point in the early centuries of, of AD uh, were barbarian pagans. And now we're sitting here Christians and probably our parents were, or some relatives we knew. So if you look at the world and I've heard like Doug Wilson say this, so I'm, I'm, I'll give credit where it's due. If you look at the world up close in, you know, just my lifetime or even 50 or hundred years, you can, it can look really bad because you're just, you have this narrow view, but if you step back and you look at the whole history from Christ till now, you can begin to see a bigger picture. You know, when Christ ascended into heaven, he left a group of disciples and we already see when Paul's writing Colossians and Romans, he says, and this gospel has been preached throughout the world. So it went from a group of disciples through throughout the Roman Empire, I think is what Paul's getting at. The Oikiamene, by the way. In, yeah, in just, uh, you know, probably a, a couple few decades. And yet, then you see the first couple centuries, uh, AD, and it's, you know, there's Christian persecution. The Roman empire is persecuting Christians. Well, then if, you know, as Doug Wilson says, if you look at the world in 500 year chunks, you can see the progress. So from year one, Christians are being fed to lions by year 500. Uh, now the Roman empire is a Christian empire. <laughs> um, and then, you, you know, you go another thousand years and it's, you know, medieval Christendom. Good. Obviously there wasn't a perfect utopia world, good and bad. Yeah. Then another 500 years, you get the Reformation, and the mm-hmm. gospel begins to burst in a beautiful way. And in modern science. 
And then, yeah, 500 years to now. Didn't, you know, Gary DeMar's mm-hmm. always like, so what's gotten better? Uh, dentistry. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? I always think about from a medical standpoint, the majority of hospitals in this world were established by Christians. Mm-hmm. We are able to expand Christ's kingdom through these compassion ministries in this powerful way. And then if you look in South America and you look in Asia, for the first time in history, Asia has the fastest growing church in the world. Uh, It's a place that was dark for a long, long time. And so the light of Christ expands. But here's the other issue with this. When the author's make this statement, they're doing two things. Number one, they're providing a standard that is not provided for them according to scripture. How do we measure things being good? Do we measure Mm -hmm. it in the places where the gospel is able to be preached? The fact that I can drop a little zip drive down into a community with a little screen, and now they have the gospel in their language. I mean, the very fact that to this day, Adoniram Judson's translation of the Bible into Burmese is the only translation of the Bible into Burmese. In just and literally, that could be done. That took him his lifetime of ministry to do. Uh, that could be done in a series of a few months now because of the technologies that we have, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, And the reason that we're not doing it is because there are other languages that we're still getting the Bible translated into. Um, Those are major points. And then when you say better and better, sometimes the best thing is for God to pour down his wrath on evil people. And so I would state that God judging evil people, which is occurring right now, I mean, in multiple places, that actually is a standard of better that I would affirm. Um, God allowing a absurdist society to self-destruct is God's mercy, is God mercying people to repentance so that they are an example. Yeah. And then he's also got to discipline his people too. I mean, so that we're not illegitimate children, there's got to be discipline, right? So it's that, you know, discipline always feels bad, right? But the discipline for the child will end up, will turn around, go, thank you. Thank you so much for actually keeping me from that, even though it hurt. And then there will be the destruction. So, you know, you go into the, let's get into revelation. What does Jesus tell the churches? He said, I'm going to remove your lampstand. So there's that kind of uh, disciplinary action. Um, And then there's, we know that God, that Jesus is ruling and reigning until he puts all his enemies under his feet. So there is judgment going on. And so we're going to see hard things. We're going to see some bad things. Again, it comes down to Kenneth Gentry with the whole wheat and we uh, the wheat and tares thing, is that Jesus will return to a wheat field with tares in it, and the other people think that it is it'll be a tare field with wheat in it, mm. but it is a wheat field, and so this okay. is one one of another step I had to overcome, and I know Josh knows that I talked to him about that, <laughs> you know, a while back, but you know it's it's definitely a, it's a perspective shift, but it's not a I want to have hope perspective shift. It is a, wait a second, the Bible gives me hope. Now, don't let me take us on a rabbit trail, because I know we want to be really respectful of your time, Josh, but uh, Millard Erickson, in his Christian theology textbook, and I remembered this from when I read it uh, in my systematic theology, or my Christian theology class at Midwestern, he critiqued the post-millennialist view saying, 
Well, it's only really ever become popular when it looks like the church is succeeding. Uh, that is something that I see to be really funny. Uh, he basically says, you know, uh, towards the end of the first thousand years uh, after Christ, there was a, again, it's looking at it kind of anachronistically, but there was a kind of a post-millennialist push. And then around the time that my book in 1910 was written, uh, that I quoted from, again, there was this kind of post-millennialist uh, push. I wouldn't say that the resurgence that I have seen has been really pushed by some amazing measure of, oh, hey, look, the world missions are growing. That's why we're going to be post-millennialist. I would say it's a, a serious resurgence in submitting to the authority of God's word and yeah. striving to grow in one's exegetical understanding of the, the whole in their biblical theology. And so I just kind of wondered when people make these type of it's looking better and the whole world's going to be Christianized. Um, is that really what it says? The whole world's going to be Christianized. I mean, is that a fair critique here? Are they misleading some of their readers maybe? Yeah, I would say um, to your, to your point there about um, it's easy to, easy to be a post-millennialist when things are going well. Certainly there have been periods in time like, late 1800s, early 1900s, there was a lot more post-millennialism. The world war has kind of killed that. Mm -hmm. And I would just say, absolutely. If your post-millennialism is built upon how the world's going or what the newspapers are reading, then it will fail and it should fall. But what you're, what we're seeing today, you know, how we've come to it is through the word of God. And so, so yeah, I mean, the idea of the world being Christianized, you know, it, there's there are certain passages we can look to to see what that might look like you know we talk about isaiah 42 isaiah 65 a few mm -hmm. other places that give us descriptions of what a christianized world might look like and there's but there's an element there where it's like we we can look at these things and say okay this is what the world will look like but there is still an element of we don't know exactly what it will look like for all of his enemies but to be put under his feet yeah because we're not universalist so we don't believe everyone's going to be saved yeah and well uh, revelation talks about the city right it's the church it's the bride we're right. outside are the dogs right so now a lot of people i think there is a view that kind of says that eternity there's going to be this kind of like um gated community or that you know so they were sort of living together but you know the wrath of god is like you know they're outside um, and the hell that their experience is like, we're kind of mixed together still at some level. Um, but like the wrath of God is on them. So they're burning yet they're existing, you know, but that's, but that's what happens whenever you adopt something other than the postman, like whenever, like, that's how I got past it was going, Oh, wait a sec. Wait a sec. No, that's talking about now the church is now. Mm. And so, yeah, no, it, no, not my literal tear hasn't been wiped from my eye. And, uh, you know, the, there, I, there's still death, but do I have to fear death? Do I have to know we mourn differently than the world? Because we know if you're in Christ, you, you don't die. We might be separated from the physical body for, for a time. But so right now it is that growing, just like we are saved, being saved and will be saved. Just like, um, you know, we're justified, sanctified, and then we'll be glorified. Right. Um, there's that growing sense in our salvation. There's that growing sense of the kingdom. And, and so, um, you know, that's 
you know, I think that's, that's kind of the thing. Like we always agree that there's going to not, there, there is a distinction to be had either you're in Christ or you're in Adam and that will continue until it is finally, who is the one who separates the sheep and the goats? It's Jesus. But see, even that in revelation, that's, that's deep into revelation. And uh, you have the city and you have the outside and there are the dogs and that's now that's what makes sense because that's not going to be eternity because they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. So they're going to be separated. So that shows you there's two distinctions to be had. Yeah. I don't know Sounds if you guys good. got anything. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I get really excited about this and this has been like, you know, a couple of years of my life now where I can be, um, where I can just say, and there's still a lot of study and stuff that I have to do, but yeah, this is just not uh, representing us correctly. So uh, to go on, it says, however, this uh, is not the view of the world um, in the end times um, that the scripture presents. It's going to beg the question because it says from the book of Revelation, it's easy to see that the world will be a terrible place during the, the future time. I think Revelation um, it's not talking about the future. So that's kind of begging the question of the debate here. Um, so you can say what you want, but you're not pro providing any citations. You're not giving any alternatives. And so this is just a, you know, this is a shot. The problem yeah, with the article, from the, yeah, I was gonna say the problem yeah. with the article is that it's not telling you what post post millennialism is, is, is it's what actually attacking it now. Yeah. What my opinion of post-millennialism yeah, is. Sorry. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, but Josh, yeah, I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt you. Oh, sorry. Good. Yeah. So, you know, so, I mean, we can agree on, on that, that, you know, revelation is, is up for debate. Um, and then you get into uh second, it also says also in second Timothy uh, three, one through seven, Paul describes the last days as being a terror, being terrible times. Does it? That's the question. That's another big the question. So, you know, um, we talked beforehand, but um, what would you say uh, uh, Timothy or second Timothy three, one through seven is saying there about the last times? Yeah, it says, it says um, in the last days, there will be difficult times. And then it goes on to explain what, what Paul means by difficult times. Mm -hmm. And he describes the type of people. It says four, there'll be difficult times for, um, and then he lists off. Do you have that in front of you? I don't know. Yeah. So it says, uh, but how, or, but know this hard times will come in the last days for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers without self-control, brutal without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power, avoid these people. Yeah. So he gives a list of type of people. Now, I would say, as I said to you earlier, those type of people have always lived in, in the world. Those mm -hmm. type of people have always been around. And furthermore, he tells Timothy instruction there. He tells them, avoid these people. So whatever Paul was intending by the last days, there's different ways to understand that term in the Bible. Whatever he was intending, it was at least partially that which Timothy could obey. It was people he could avoid. And so it was something relevant for him. That doesn't mean it's irrelevant for us. I think what you said before the show when we were talking was very helpful. If you wanted to mention that about um, the fact that we can't avoid them. Yeah, we can't avoid them, right? <laughs> so if, if 
Paul is instructing Timothy to avoid them. Well, for one, he's instructing Timothy in the first century to avoid, and he says the last days. Yeah, we do agree that we're living still in the last days or the last time. You know, we're living in a new covenant. There's not going to be any more like covenant, right? Like that. Um, So yeah, the old covenant, yeah, the new covenant. That's the two covenants we're given in scripture. So we're in the last times. So we're, you know, in the old Testament where it said, I'm going to do a new thing in the new Testament times, we don't have a, I'm going to do a new thing then. Okay. So we only have one more, one new thing. And then that's it. We have Christ. He's in the new covenant. Um, And so, yeah, we can, we can avoid these people. And it's also just saying to avoid these people. And what this article does is just a general worldview is going to be terrible. You can't get that from the text. It just says that there's going to be these, these people are going to exist and, and they're going to worm their way. They're going to, so from among them are those who are going to worm their way into households and deceive gullible women overwhelmed by sins and led astray. So always learning to never be. So these are bad people, but it's not telling you a general temperature of the world to say there's going to be right. these people that exist. And we've already said there's going to be some tears in the wheat field. So again, this is just who's, who's bad exegesis, you know, open your Bible and stop being so, uh, this is just showing the bias and just throwing stuff out there to what, to deceive women that (laughs) I'll take the shot, but that's, that's the, it's, it's easy. It's, it's very easy um, to get people, especially on a website. It's called got questions that's there for this purpose. And if they don't do their own research, if you don't give citations, if you don't help them out, then like the confessions talk about, you know, we don't need people with an implicit faith. They need to do this for themselves. Right. And so help them out again. I've got to call, sir, edit this paper, please. (laughs) Well, or at least retitle it to my opinion. (laughs) What I think is wrong with post-millennialism. What is wrong with post-millennialism or really what I think is wrong or what dispensationalists think is wrong. That's yeah. a little bit and more. put your active. name on it. Whoever because then you this, move, and, and I, that just builds right upon this, your next comments in this next uh, fourth, or the, the fifth paragraph there. Is this the fifth, uh, those who hold? Yes. Okay, I'll read it. So those who hold to post-millennialism use a non-literal, so here's again, a second shot, or second or third Second, third, third shot. <laughs> and, uh, so those who hold to postmillennialism use a non-literal method of interpreting unfulfilled prophecy, often interpreting prophetic passages allegorically. Wait, hmm. wait, 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 wait. With... hold the bus, hold the what? train, tap the brakes. <laughs> so much. <laughs> unfulfilled prophecy is one. Uh, often, often interpreting prophetic passages allegorically is two. There is your big piece. Mm-hmm. This is a vision, and you have to unpack it in Revelation. And man, I don't even want to begin to play with the ways that dispensationalists use, and I love how you say it, Adam, newspaper eschatology. Newspaper um, exegesis, yeah. And that's, yeah, that's not me, yeah, that's Bonson. Exegesis, that's Bonson. Thank you. Gotta... Yeah. Uh, good <laughs> night. Um, if your critique against a position is the same position that you hold, the standards and the weighing mechanism for evaluating it is uh, ineffective because you can't use that same method to assess yourself. 
Sorry, I'm being a little bit more vague there, but that's the first thing that comes out to me. So I'll let you guys be more specific. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I guess a scorpion, a scorpion with a, uh, um, a face of a man or, uh, or something with wings. Forgot, I forgot the exact imagery, but it's like a creature with wings, had the face of a man and it's, it had a sting in its tail, right? Um, is a helicopter. That's literal. <laughs> come on <laughs> yeah that's, the, the you know, inconsistency yeah so that's 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 the problem but yeah so there's no there should be no problem with uh looking at again if you use scripture with scripture you can see something that's literally direct um physical whatever um and then something that's more allegorical more metaphorical um you know and that's this is this is the major um hinge pin i guess maybe of this person who wrote it's um, but it says the problem with uh, whenever you do this non-literal method, even though, again, we got to understand what is literal method. There's no citation. There's no describing a literal method. It's just saying you should be able to read it, see 1000 and go, that means 1000 years. And that's all it's teaching you this document anyway. Um, but that's a problem whenever um, David's supposed to rise to the throne, but it's no, it's Jesus. But in the old Testament, yeah, some places it says, the Lord or Messiah, but it also just says David. Mm -hmm. um, John the Baptist was Elijah. Hmm. But no, he's John the Baptist. He's not Elijah. Now, something really cool that I read, just to throw it out there, is that uh, Elijah was a hairy man, and it describes his belt. And then John the Baptist was had a really hairy jacket, and had and it describes his belt. So that's something physical. That's I want to put it out there. Just something I I picked up. I'm a little Bible reading plan anyway. It's pretty cool. But anyway, you know, so, but there are direct fulfillments and there are to, you know, there's, there's different fulfillments and we have to look at the new Testament to get a hermeneutic and we're totally fine. Again, if we're liberals then Matthew was a liberal, I'll say that again. Yeah. Well, Matthew chapter one, uh, chapter two, yeah. when he's talking about the virgin birth, uh, very yeah. interesting little piece there, since we're just coming off of Christmas and many mm -hmm. people are reading that about the baby being born of a virgin and um, the way that those words are used there um, when they're written in Hebrew. And I'm just quoting from comment. Well, I'm I'm paraphrasing some commentaries, but the way that that term virgin is used there in Matthew is kind of a, a free use of it. And yeah. so just that similar uh, concept of looking at and again, at the time when Isaiah is given that prophecy, it means something within the time, but then was mm -hmm. likewise a messianic uh, prophecy. And so the reality is you should get your hermeneutic from the text. How does scripture deal with other scripture? And that's all that's being done in the postmillennial position. Yeah. Yeah. To jump in real quick, the other thing I really took issue with in that sentence you read was the accusation of using allegorical interpretation. Mm. What we're doing is not allegory. Yeah. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of what allegory is, is where you take a passage of scripture and you make it into some moral story. That's not the point of mm. the text. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we don't um, do that. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. We're symbolism, typology, those things are not taking a text and giving it a meaning of the text is not intend. The Bible intends typological mm -hmm. interpretation. Yeah. It intends it. So that's definitionally not allegory. 
Okay. So yeah, I get, yeah. get you that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you for picking up on that because uh, you know, we miss things and yeah, I'm on like a door, totally different plane, but I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're, again, we're, we're talking about the typological stuff. Let me move on because there's a little piece yeah. that I can get to. Um, but uh, so it says the problem with this is that uh, when normal, the normal meaning of a passage is abandoned, the meaning can become entirely subjective. Um, all objectivity concerning the meaning of words is lost. And when they lose their meaning, communication ceases. However, this is not how God has intended for language and communication to be. God communicates to us through his written word with objective meanings to words so that ideas and thoughts can be communicated. Okay. We have just start. we stated already that we interpret scripture with scripture and that's the only way you can have objective meaning. Right. And right. so I think this is where Dave kind of said, okay, show me your, line of demarcation on the uh, covenants where are you going to make metaphor allegory for that you know because i don't see that literally in the text i see continuity and discontinuity yeah and that's why john MacArthur has to be a leaky dispensationalist also being you know in the baptist line of things you're coming from covenantal understandings and so he recognizes if you uh read the uh, gospel according to jesus he admits that he sees continuity in the covenants so because he's a Baptist and he reads the Bible, <laughs> it just, he's just got a, uh, an issue that he's got to grind with the whole eschatology department. And we still got to be good brothers to him for that. But, um, but no, we are being objective if we're utilizing scripture with scripture. And so we can look at the stones in revelation and think about all the stones in the garden of Eden and, and the land mm-hmm. that were prized. And the reality is that the post-millennialist, just jumping back, I went and was thinking a little more on the allegory interpretation issue. And just so you know, there is a great Got Questions article on what's wrong with allegorical method. However, <laughs> and there is, however, the same authors of that article affirm that Song of Solomon should have an allegorical understanding. <laughs> But here's the problem. The post-millennialist is looking at the fulfillment of Revelation in, in, in very much an interpretive understanding of it, whereas the uh, pre-millennialist is simply doing a very similar thing in many cases, but as saying that's what's coming in the future. In the future for us, not the future for the church that it was written to, the churches that it was written to. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sorry i hope i didn't just like since i'm in another room i wasn't trying to just <laughs> randomly be out of the room but my mind was like i'll bet you got questions has uh has a question what's wrong with the allegorical method <laughs> so i had to look it up sorry <laughs> yeah in real time what's i what's ironic about this paragraph where they're talking about the meaning of words being lost and communication ceasing when we when you uh use allegory and become subjective, even though those are false accusations going on. The ironic thing is that's what the dispensational, you know, if you were consistently literal with everything, then, then it scripture would lose its meaning. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm looking for David to hit the throne. Um, let's see what else I'm looking for a big battle of bow and arrows and chariots and horses at the end of time. Like, no, Jesus, you can't just Jesus say they're tanks. Oh yeah, he's a door. Um, <laughs> it's like uh, let's be hyper transubstantiationists. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard that term used before, but yeah, uh, you know he is bread. He is wine. He's the cup. 
Um, you know, but it's one of those things we do, uh, you know, and it's one of those things we don't have to say like, well, you come on, come on. You believe that Jesus is literally, you know, no, no. Like we can use the text for that too. You know, Mm -hmm. like it might be common sense, um, and, and, and some respect or whatever, but there's also the text is going to back it up and be, and so we've been objective the whole time, um, as far as going like scripture interprets scripture. Um, and if you base it on that, then you can only be objective in that way. So you, you look for other things uh, again, like that lightning idea, lightning, you know, you see in the old Testament, you see in the new, so you can almost be systematic. Um, you know, that's where you, you need to meet your biblical theology with your systematic theology. And, uh, you know, these things work together, so you can't just be biblical and not systematize things. And you can't just be a systematizer without a biblical thing. Cause like that, I guess that'd be kind of like that one in many problem where systematics is going to take you to a bunch of particulars and they could be incoherent without the biblical theology, which is going to be your overarching story and everything of what the Bible teaches. So whenever they come together, you have your parts and pieces, you have your whole, and you have a cohesive unit of understanding, and then you can have a system, you know? Um, and so, uh, doing that but uh to continue on i know we're uh, using up a lot of time i hope this is all right with you josh we're good okay we're we still can see good. the end <laughs> good so um but yeah to move on he says a normal literal literal interpretation of scripture rejects post-millennialism and holds to a normal interpretation of all scripture including unfulfilled prophecy so the unfulfilled prophecy is what begging the question because we need to talk about that um, and so then the whole thing is um, saying that scripture rejects post-millennialism. You haven't proven that. You haven't given any citations. Again, there's no help. This might be your opinion. Again, like they've said, please title it that and maybe write another article that says what is post-millennialism and please use like, you know, people who are actually post-millennialist to describe what it is. And again, and what do they mean that. by normal interpretation? Yeah. What is Yeah, because I would tell you, uh, Dr. White certainly applies the historical grammatical methodology. I know that B.B. Warfield would have uh, definitely applied that. The Christian Reconstructionist definitely apply that method. So what do you mean by normal? Because if by normal you mean not the historical grammatical hermeneutic, then I don't want your methodology for interpreting scripture because I'm going to look at the way that scripture interprets scripture looking at the preaching and the proclamation of the apostles in the apostolic age as my measure for how I should preach and how I should understand scripture. So normal is such a vague term. And again, normal. And so like, okay, we can go back to the old Testament and stars fell from the sky. The sun went dark, the moon turned to blood. I understand we're talking about all of that discourse stuff, but that happened before. And is there any documentation extra biblical inside of scripture too that like literally the stars fell from the sky now i we can talk about they didn't, li- they didn't live to write about it yeah <laughs> <laughs> argument from silence bro <laughs> yeah but that but that's the thing is we you, you almost have that like little hint of marcionism that separates the old and the new testament again that's a line of demarcation and so do you want me to call you a marcion you can't do it and i'm not calling you that because I know, you know, better, it's just, you know, this, again, you're so sold out to your system that you can't even, you can't, you're so sold out to your system that you can't even give a fair shake to a position. Yes. You, you title a paper. What is post-millennialism? I go, what is post-millennialism? What is it? I'm just getting blasted. 
<laughs> with opinion, but not like actual matters of fact. Like, here's what it is. Here's what it says. Here's what it believes. Now make another page again, titling this one, what I think of it. You know, that's, that's just kind of, kind of a thing. So this is, this is not helpful to anybody's, you know, this doesn't answer any, that doesn't answer the question that's posed. Yeah, it really anyway. does. Yeah. But it says that we have, um, hundreds of examples in scripture of prophecies being fulfilled. Take, for example, the prophecies concerning Christ in the old Testament. Those prophecies were fulfilled literally. So what is this, what are you perceiving from this? That every Christ prophecy is this, let's see if there's no citation, there's no help here. It's just saying, would, would you guys understand this as every, every prophecy of Christ in the old Testament was literally fulfilled. That would be exactly the way that it reads in a regular reading. Take, for example, the prophecies concerning Christ in the Old Testament. Those prophecies, all of them, were literally fulfilled. All of them? Really? Okay, I'll give you a citation from um, Dispensationalism Today, Yesterday and Tomorrow, from Crenshaw and Gunn, page 22. Um, they have charts and all that kind of stuff on prophecy, it looks like. Um, it says here that out of 97 Old Testament prophecies, only 34 were directly or literally fulfilled, which is only 35.05%. So is it, is every prophecy directly, literally fulfilled? No, even dispensationalists say, and can recognize that there are metaphorical, in a sense, typological issues that we have to deal with just thinking Did, of the christmas is david era. on the throne right now yep. is out king of, david on the throne out of egypt i called my son i forgot to i forgot the passage in the bible said and the father called to jesus hey jesus get out of egypt <laughs> literally we're talking literally fulfilled yeah <laughs> sorry I mean, he, I just yeah, said. no he told joseph by an angel <laughs> so there's a there's a little chain of command there and I'm just thinking of Psalm 22 comes to mind. There is literal, if you want to direct fulfillment with Christ calling out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's that with the robes being gambled for. But there's also, I mean, that whole Psalm is about the crucifixion experience of Christ. And there's other parts of that Psalm, like I forget what verses in Psalm 22, it talks about how his tongue was stuck to his jaw or his, or his, the, however it says it, it's, it's a symbolic way of describing the extreme thirst that Christ had on the cross, but was, however it words in Psalm 22, was his tongue literally stuck to the roof of his mouth? Yeah. You know, I think that's yeah. what it is. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls yeah, of Bashan surround Bation. him. Yep. Literally bulls of Bashan around him. Or is that, you know, the, Roman soldiers or what was going on there, the wrath so, of God. Yeah. So we can take it to the literature and say it's poetic. Right. And say it's not literal. Like he's not getting real waves and breakers going over him, but it is his soul. Like in, in, in Psalm 42 and 43, um, you know, these, these things are coming over me, you know, but it's not real. He's not really in the ocean sinking to the bottom. Right. Like mm -hmm. literally, but to the literature, that's the way he's feeling. Uh, he's feeling disconnected and all that kind of stuff talking poetically. And so again, we know something that's prophetic and symbolic because it's something that flies through the whole of scripture. It talks like that. Again, there's always stars. There's always suns. There's always moons from the new to the old. 
and Jesus talks the same way. And so that's how we can objectively know when somebody is talking about something literal and a direct physical, whatever sense. And then whenever something's being more symbolic and all that stuff, because there are patterns in scripture and God has given us a sufficient enough patterns to be able to go and, and the Holy spirit within us to be able to go. Yes. Okay. This is, you know, we can take that metaphorically, you know? So when, yes, there are literal things that Mashiach is going to take the throne, but then there again, David, he didn't come back to life and he's not going to sit on the throne. It's going to be Jesus. And even dispensationalists will be like, Jesus is going to sit on that throne whenever he comes back. But no, it has to be David if you're going to be literal, because there are prophecies that says David's going to come back and sit on that throne. So dispensationalists aren't even literal, right? So there are typological fulfillments. There are literal direct fulfillments. And even this dispensationalist doesn't say hundreds. It just says, you know, it doesn't even say all of Christ's fulfillments are literal and the, in the way that he's wanting it. So we can't be woodenly literal like that. And nobody is. And so again, it'd be really awesome to have a better discussion on what post-millennialism is to a website that everybody's, a lot of people are going to see and go to, and they just get blasted like from the gate, like, you know, we just don't want you to believe this. You know? Well, over 600,000 people have had their questions answered on the site. If I saw correctly, this is one mm -hmm. that they didn't get answered. And you can sum it up here, actually, with these last uh, three sentences, or mm -hmm. yeah, the last two sentences here, Adam. Yeah, it says, uh, postmillennialism fails in that it interprets the Bible prophecy subjectively and holds that the millennial kingdom will be established by the church, not Christ himself. So that's two just ending shots. Again, with no substantiation, there's no citations or whatever. So this, no, got questioned. <laughs> hey, usually when people ask to explain me, post post usually when people ask me what something is, I usually tell them why it fails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just wanted to make sure, yeah. but that's how I yeah. ended their question. And here's why it fails. So, but uh, the problem hey, is, it's not accurate. Ask, me, ask me what a tomato is. What's a tomato? It's not a potato. <laughs> that's what this article is. You know, there might be some bits, like I said, there's a couple things that we're like, oh, okay, you know, but most of it is filled with, with that. And this is, this is going to be a lot of uh, conversations with people. So this, this is uh, just a little description of conversations that can happen. If people know, if people are going to got questions, you're a post-mill person, this is what people might think. And so again, we got to be with gentle and respect on both sides of this uh, discussion or whatever, but um, mainly I want God questions to edit this. And if anybody else has written an article, that's very similar, please edit it, <laughs> provide citations, provide resources, um, and, and things can be better. But, um, the thing is, is since this hasn't been refuted, you know, we can, we can talk about that hope. So, um, you know, to, uh, sort of in the program, I don't know if you guys have any more to say, you got any more that you want to bring to the party? Okay, well, I want Josh, Josh thank to you sort of so much, man. Uh, yeah. Thank you for hanging with me through the uh, tech issues. <laughs> yeah. So I guess you know, always just... a, always a pleasure to to speak with you guys. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, you know, Josh, I'd like you to kind of like just end the program. What is the post millennial hope? Um, where do you root it, and uh, what can you give to our you know our listeners that are listening as we go into the new year? Just kind of a quick little um, blip. I know it's it's asking a lot, but I know you're a preacher. You can, yeah. you've got that alliteration. I've been hearing like a bunch of <laughs> P words used in consecutive order and everything. So you got it. 
Well, I'm not much of an alliteration guy, at least not on purpose. If it happens, it's an accident. <laughs> but uh, no, I think when I think about post-millennialism, it really puts the, it's where the rubber meets the road in the Christian faith. And in terms of, it gives me a, a motivation and a purpose for being a faithful Christian in my life, in my everyday duties that may seem very normal or mundane. Uh, they actually mean something. And that's something that when I became a post-millennialist, you know, two, three years ago, it really changed the way I just viewed my everyday tasks, you know, because I work another full-time job mm-hmm. and have normal responsibilities. Not everything's fun and like specifically ministry. But whenever I came to understand everything I do matters because uh, because of the Christian worldview that there's continuity, there is proverbs that 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 uh, talk about you know a righteous man will leave an inheritance for his children's children mm. that that makes it necessary that a christian have a long-term worldview a generational worldview and act for it today in normal mm. everyday decisions mm-hmm. and so and what is the world against right now inheritances are oppressive right yeah family right. wealth is oppressive but it's actually, so are we going to be chickens and be like, well, you know, this is all going away. I'll just redistribute wealth using unjust laws that God would not want us to be a part of. But it's actually good that we continue the wealth thing for that. We think about our families as the first unit that God made was the family. Right. And so this is the difference between post mill folks and maybe how this kind of stuff can creep into other eschatologies. This is why eschatology mm-hmm. you would say is important. That needs to be a little bit more front and center. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I believe that Jesus died, you know, you know, God's so loved the world that he sent his only son to the world. So what we do in the world isn't, isn't going to just get thrown up and burned away in a fire. Yeah. It's right. going to matter for eternity. And that gives me motivation and hope that God has not abandoned this world to just to its own futility, but he's working out his purposes in it. And so when I read about, you know, the great commission in Matthew 28, and we can have a tendency to see it as this big task that is so impossible when, you know, but I, you know, I read that and I, and I believe, you know, Hey, these are the nations that Psalm two, the father gave to the son. So Jesus is giving us a command that will be successful. He's giving us a command that he intends to be fulfilled through his mm-hmm. church. And in my life and our lives, we get to be a part of that in the everyday ways that we make disciples, we teach others to obey all that Christ commanded. That's part of that nations being given over to Christ coming to him. And so, yeah, I would just encourage people with that. And and the big thing about post-millennialism is it's founded upon the authority of Christ yeah. over, over all heaven and, and all earth. And so that gives me confidence and boldness that every area, every sphere, every cultural issue, we have a word from God and we can we can tell the truth about it and we can teach people what God says about it and how he says to live and act. So mm-hmm. just gives us a confidence because the world's crazy right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's but it's there's under, some crazy stuff. There's discipline going on and there's judgment going on. There's purpose behind yeah, it. And yeah, everything, right. everything matters. Everything matters. And so, you know, I've talked um, with, uh, you know, Freemasons and they just kind of, you know, like the consistent Freemason or this uh, inconsistent Christian Freemason, you know, is like, was still holding on to this, like, well, everything's vain. I'm like, 
but don't you believe in the gospel where it actually says all your work in the Lord is not in vain. It's going to make something like Jesus is making all things new. He is the savior of the world. Like that's why I'm not a universalist because I'm a post-millennialist. Huh. <laughs> you know, that's the, that's the cool thing is because I can deal with the text where it sounds like universalism. Mm -hmm. And so we can actually, that what excites me is as an apologist, I can talk to the universalist going like, Oh yeah, I can agree. He is the savior of the whole world. And that, you know, the, originally the creation was good. We're not, uh, you know, we're not Gnostics. We're not, uh, you know, people that are just trying to throw off. And this is why liberation theology doesn't match the Bible because the world was good and we are the problem. It's not that the environment is our constrainer and we're trying to be liberated from an environment. It's just that we have sinned and the environment had been handed over to futility, but through Jesus Christ himself, he is making all things new. And so that does give hope. There is, there is that future hope. And Jesus is the savior of the whole world. And you don't even have to be embarrassed by that yeah. text as a Calvinist, Amen. if you're yeah. a post-millennial Calvinist. <laughs> so keep so on. True. Yeah. So just beautiful. one more thing I would just yeah. add in there real quick too. When you look at the world, it's easy to just look at the bad headlines and think things are going really bad. There's a passage in Hebrews, I forget the exact reference, but everyone knows it. It talks about how the things that can be shaken in the world are being shaken so mm -hmm. that what cannot be shaken would remain, which is the uh, kingdom of God, the, yep. you know, that which cannot be shaken. And so I think, you know, was, that was talking about a specific thing, I believe in Hebrews, but that principle remains that that's how God works in the world. He shakes things that can be shaken so that what cannot be shaken remains. And there's a lot of shaking going on right now in the world. Mm -hmm. And as Christians, we should look at that and not be fearful or afraid, but we should say, thank the Lord. He is shaking things up. He is getting rid. He is tearing down our idols and our culture and in the church. He's disciplining his people. He's shaking away the things, purifying his bride mm. so that what cannot be shaken will remain. So as our culture is sort of collapsing in, in Western society, we can think what a great opportunity that maybe not us, but our kids or grandchildren may have to build a new society, to build right. a, the next Christendom. Yeah. yeah. So, Christendom 2.0. That's, that's right. right. For Christendom. That, that's right. So, um, yeah. So guys, uh, it, it, I'm thankful to you again for giving your time. It's been a minute since you've been on and glad that uh, we finally got you on with this, but um, Josh has got some other resources with us on the tag your podcast. We've talked about, you know, the HB 2285 with Mike moon a long time ago. Um, I think, uh, so there's the, if you want to talk about a little, getting some more abolition ideas and, and stuff like that. Um, he's talked about that on that program. We've talked about the Jesus lie, which mm -hmm. is a post-millennial program. That's why I want to talk post-millennialism because we only kind of hit some implications. Yeah. So you, you talk about God and government again, last year, we talked about God and government and the whole amen and a woman thing that happened this time last year um, <laughs> with you and Brandon. Sure um, we got, I'm glad to have you on two, two first um, shows in a row. You know, as what far a as the privilege. season goes, yeah, it's, it's not, it's awesome. Oh. Nobody else wanted to do it this time <laughs> of year. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We, we, we couldn't get anybody, but you No, <laughs> no, no, no. I didn't even know, know that until I like looked at a list. Cause I'm like, what, what is, what has you been a part of? So, um, there's a lot of stuff. If you search Josh Jenkins and tag your podcast in your, and your podcast, uh, um, app or whatever, you know, you can get some more resources that he has uh, brought to the show. Um, you've been an awesome fellow to have around. Um, he does come to the barbershop so we can uh, talk every once in a while as well. So there's a lot of connection here. 
Um, but um, we hope that again that uh, you guys have had a you had a wonderful 2020 and can and recognize the covenantal um, blessedness that you have in Christ uh, even through all this time that you know we can complain about Biden we can complain we're always complaining about the president no matter who it is I complained about uh, oh I guess I complained about George Bush and all that kind of stuff and you know again I'm not aligning myself politically uh, secularly. Uh, but you know, we're always going to complain about authority because what we are authority haters and we are covenant breakers and we can only give thanks to Christ for uh, making us new to stop doing that. <laughs> so let's believe our authority and uh, go into 22 with awesome hope. Cause I know it might get darker, but like, uh, the, Re like the reformation after darkness light. So with that said, this is the Tag Year Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. I'm Dave. And I'm Joshua. And so we. Deo. Gloria. Gloria.